It's time for the Hadit.com radio show. Hadit.com radio is an in-depth look at all things VA. If you need help with the VA, log on to Hadit.com. Now, here's your host, Gerald Cook. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, on this 23rd day of February, 2017. We're here with our co-host, Jay Basser, and today our guest speaker will be John Dorley. And we're going to talk a little bit about Capital of June and uh, among some other things. And if... um, any of you have any questions or comments, please feel free to call in. Our number is 347-237-4819. Now, that call-in number, once again, is 347 237 4819 and then you'll get a uh, when when you get in there, just hit one and it'll put you in the queue with us. We'll, we'll keep our eye out. Hopefully get you on. Uh, how are you doing today, John? Guys, I'm doing great. Uh, it's always a pleasure to be on the show and, and uh, talk about VA benefits and and hopefully we get some callers to take some take some questions. That's always a good thing too. But uh, you know, before the show, I, I thought uh, one of the good topics to talk about would be Camp Lejeune. Uh, that was in the news recently. Uh, yeah, uh, Camp Lejeune put a hurt on a lot of veterans, and uh, there was a long, hard fight over that. And McDonald, before he got out, uh, um, he he signed his name there on it, where they at least. Uh, are getting some help now. I don't know why he had to wait so late. I find that pretty disturbing, but at least they're getting some help now. And uh, uh, we know there's quite a few of them involved. And I don't know. uh, Do you know of any cases where uh, the children are affected. Uh, uh, John, uh, you know, kind of like Agent Orange, uh, spinal bipeda, or uh, uh, they have cases of that. Now, uh, from Camp Lejeune, I don't know if we... Uh, I would suspect there would be some, but maybe not. Yeah, I, I think... I think certainly there are there are veterans out there who who suspect that. Um, I think uh, the VA would entertain those types of claims on a case by case basis. Uh, certainly, there's no legislation that I'm aware of, or any laws or regulations that I'm aware of that puts it in the same classification as Agent Orange and Spina Bifida. Uh, but uh, uh, I guess I would encourage any any veteran who served in Camp Lejeune. Uh, between 1953 and 1987, and were there a culmination of at least 30 days, if if they themselves are having any type of of chronic disability, and and Gerald, as you pointed out, if they fathered or mothered any children that uh, are are having any types of difficulties, certainly a claim should be put in. Uh, 
I've always told veterans and claimants, even even if the presumptive disability isn't on record as law, you can always file the claim because if the law is ever changed at a later date, uh, the VA would have the potential to compensate that beneficiary back to the original data claim. Yes, and uh, uh, yeah, they shouldn't hesitate. They should uh, put a claim in because uh and it don't don't matter what what the issue is if they have an issue with their uh children uh, uh you know my land uh, it could turn out to be any sort of issue you know heart troubles uh i know a lot of kids uh, from vietnam era uh agent orange uh, veterans had holes in their hearts, and as a matter of fact, I have a nephew with one, and I don't know if that's presumptive or not. I don't think it is, but uh, uh, you know, and the girls, a lot of the girls, ended up with uh, endometriosis uh, and and different ailments. So. Uh, and I don't think that's even uh, a presumptive. I, what, what a spinal bifida is only only one there is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. For Agent Orange, it's, it's spina bifida, but we need to be real specific about that because there's a lot of people, a lot of a lot of children with the spina bifida occulta. Um, the way the legislation and the law is, it has to be spina bifida non occulta. Um, but again. Whether it's a cult or non occult, I think you know you always want to file a claim because you never know if the law is going to change at a later date involving any children that were mothered or fathered by uh, uh, service members that served in the Republic of Vietnam or were exposed to Agent Orange and other other capacities, Thailand or or uh, C-130 aircraft uh, they added not too long ago. Um, so, uh, but you know, talking a little bit about Camp Lejeune, I kind of piqued my curiosity. Last time we talked, the law hadn't been written yet, and as you pointed out, Gerald, uh, Secretary McDonald had written that into law. And basically what it says is, for people who aren't aware, Camp Lejeune is considered a super fun site, at least for the periods of 1953 to 1987 when when uh, contaminants were leaked into the groundwater. Tetrachloroethylene was, was one of the biggest ones, and benzene and things of that sort. And so uh, what we're finding is that a number of service members, mainly Marine service members, although there's contingents of other military service groups on, on Camp Lejeune, but primarily Marines uh, were having these chronic illnesses. And uh, approximately 60 days ago, Secretary McDonald added it to uh, 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 the list of presumptive disabilities that if you served at Camp Lejeune for at least a culmination of 30 days between 1953 and 1987, and you come down with a specific type of disability, uh, which are listed on the website. Uh, some of the bigger ones, I was looking at it today, some of the bigger ones are the uh, Parkinson's and the multiple myeloma. Uh, kidney cancer is another one, and there's about five or six other ones. So if if, if any veterans or service members who who uh, uh, served during that time at Camp Lejeune and can prove it, and that would be easy enough to prove through a DD-214, 201 personnel records file, that kind of thing, uh, they would be entitled to compensation. And and if unfortunately they, they passed away, if there's a widow or a widower, they would be entitled to 
uh, dependency and indemnity compensation with all the benefits that go along with that too. So um, I, I certainly would, would make sure people get, you know, get the word out um, and, and contact your veteran service officer or your, or your attorney or your agent such as myself to uh, get these claims filed and get compensated for, for the disabilities that are now written into law. That's right. And uh, even if you get denied, you can always do a notice of disagreement and run it as long as you can. Uh, keep it active. But uh, uh, like John said there, uh, should should they ever add the presumptives in, then you're already in the system. And you shouldn't wait around. Uh, go ahead and get a claim filed. And, you know, one thing we hate to see is claims clogging up the system, but that's really not the veteran's fault. I feel like that's the VA's fault uh, for dragging their feet so many times. And we love we love how proactive they are, Joe, when it comes to issues like Camp Lejeune and Project 112 and Chad. Boy, they're really proactive on this stuff, aren't they? Oh, you bet. They jump right to you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it was a it was a long time coming, guys. And, and certainly there are other Superfund sites out there that, that need to be included as well. Um, one of the things that I've been following really closely is, is Fort McClellan, Alabama, Anniston, Alabama, that area. Um, that's a Superfund site as well, and it's it's not in the category of uh, any presumptive disabilities such as Camp Lejeune or Agent Orange or Atomic Veterans or, or things of that sort. But uh, if you served at Fort McClellan and you're having any type of chronic disability, and it's got to be some sort of chronic disease more or less, uh, that, that's certainly a situation where you'd want to file a claim. I was just talking to a lady. Uh, she was a WAC, uh, Army Reserve, uh, Fort McClellan had a contingent of, of those individuals that did their basic training down at Fort McClellan, and uh, she's got Parkinson's and ischemic heart disease, and and uh, I'm about ready to take over that case. I haven't looked at it yet, but from what I can tell, it looks like she filed for Agent Orange presumptive disabilities, and, and we know that Agent Orange was a chemical used at, at Fort McClellan. For people for people who don't know, that was a chemical school. Uh and the reason I know about it is because it was a military police school as well. So that, that's why I was down there for 16 weeks. But um, that being said, I, I think anyone that served at Fort McClellan should also think about filing uh, disability claims. And I think that would really go for any declared Superfund site in the country. And for those individuals who aren't aware of the term Superfund, you can you can look that up. But in layman's terms, it's just a it's just a military site that the government has designated as as having a history or a current our current situation of contamination of of uh, a lot of times benzene or jet fuel or trichloroethylene into the ground ground system. So um, yeah, so that that's about it I have on Camp Lejeune. I think again uh, that was a big step because, like I said, it's it's written into law. Presumptive disabilities are associated with service at Camp Lejeune. Uh. Yeah, and I'm sure there's going to be more of these uh, Superfund sites crop up. 
I know I just read an article on Fort Wainwright, Alaska. They have had a major super fun site there. They had one at Fort Greeley, Alaska. Uh, So, and, and of course, Camp Lejeune. And I'm sure there's others. I don't know. It's hard to keep up with them, but we ought to do a posting on that. Uh, I would think they're on had it, uh, where every time a new site pops up, we can keep them all together. So someone can go through there, and if they were stationed at one of them areas, they uh, during a certain period of time, maybe they could get some some help if they have a claim going. You're right, Gerald, and I think if anyone was was to to be interested in that, uh, just Google or Yahoo uh, military Superfund sites, and and uh, there are a couple websites out there that keep it pretty up to date. These are government websites, so um, yeah, I think that certainly um, these types of claims can be filed. Uh, the local VA regional offices, uh, their hands are tied on a lot of cases where they have to go by their by the specifics of the Code of Federal Regulations M21 manual, uh, so. Uh, don't be surprised if you get denied at the local level. Now, this is assuming you file for a disability uh, that's not on the presumptive list for a specific area uh, or it's an area that's not even written into law yet. Uh, yeah. but, but keep at it. F- file the claim. You'll probably get denied. File a notice of disagreement. You may get denied again. Take it to the Board of Veterans' Appeals and see what they have to say. And, and certainly, as with any claim, you're going to want to try to uh, a toxicology expert or a doctor that practices in toxicology gets all the specifics of your case, and if they put a good medical opinion together backed up by medical fact and data, uh, the VA will consider those claims on a case-by-case basis. Uh, yeah, uh, that's right. And uh, don't hesitate. My land to get a claim in if you feel like it. Uh, something's wrong. Uh, don't wait around. A lot of times you wait around, you 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 forget things, you lose information. You got to have them documents, and and for sure you you have to have a, a doctor's IMOs and IMEs, and and uh, the VA loves you to. Likes you to use them DBQs, which I'm not sold on them. I don't think they're worth the hell beans, but that's my opinion. Another, another interesting point, guys, is we touched on this a little bit last time we talked. Is the new secretary of the Department of Veterans Affairs was was confirmed, uh, Dr. David Shulkin, um, and so he's getting his feet wet. Um, I have been in contact with his office. Uh, uh, at times, I, I, I use their office for specific disability claims that that are sitting in the mud, and, and the leadership team at the particular VA regional office aren't as attentive as I think they should be. So um, he's been a good source. At least Secretary McDonald previously had been a very good source. So uh, I, I expect Dr. David Shulkin to follow suit. And I, like I said, I was just uh, in touch with their office today, and, and uh, for what it's worth, they are committed to to carry on the way that uh, Secretary McDonald did in, in assisting specific uh, 
veterans' claims. So that's encouraging. I, I, I don't know I, whether he's assigned a uh, deputy secretary or an undersecretary yet at this point in time. I haven't seen anything on that, but um, that'll be interesting to watch as well because typically it's those two individuals that really pull the levers on, on these VA regional offices and, and getting them uh, up to par. Um, I was pretty disappointed with a specific VA regional office today. Uh, they were honest with me, but uh, they're telling me that uh, right now they're working appeals from early 2014. Um, I found that unbelievable, but it was confirmed by their director and their assistant director. Um, and I'm not afraid to say which regional office that is. It's Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, so, and they're not alone. There are other VA regional offices that are that far back, backloaded with appeals. Uh, but Indianapolis, Indiana, three years behind. Uh, they're working early, early 2014 appeals right now. I found that amazing. Um, write your write your letters to congressmen, senators, Dr. Shulkin, uh, whoever you can. This is not appropriate. Uh, in, in my opinion, we need to hire more VA officials, and, and they need to be more efficient as well. They need to be trained better uh, so that the initial decisions aren't so erroneous that they have to be appealed. And that's been my rallying cry for a long time. Of course, when you, when you, when you do that, you ask for more money from Congress, more money from the Senate, and, of course, Congress and Senate says, okay, we have to raise taxes. No one wants to pay more taxes, but, but everyone wants the VA to work better folks you're going to have to pay for it so that's just my opinion yeah you're right on uh, John they have to hire more people and they have to I believe uh, all their personnel should do a yearly uh, test uh, and and uh, grade them on that, and and if they they don't do well, give them so long to bring themselves up to snuff. Because we have a lot of a lot of VA uh, personnel that I don't know whether they forgot what they're supposed to do or what, but they sure seem like they don't know nothing. <laughs> And they're creating, uh, they're generating the backlog, and uh, as if that backlog isn't bad enough, then they, they, it it runs over into the appeals process. So we got a massive backlog there. It just, it, it's like on a teeter totter one side's heavy one time next side's heavy the next so uh, uh, it's just going back and forth and and these claims are running in circles yep and that yep. you gotta be. have a you gotta have a system of checks and balances right guys and and especially in a in a in a government entity that runs on our tax dollars. So as far as I'm concerned, our tax dollars need to be, uh, we need to be able to get a bang for our buck. I think any time you, you get a, an erroneous decision from a rating specialist, that's, that's not only a reflection on the rating specialist, but that's a reflection on the coach. That's a reflection on the veteran service senator manager. That's a reflection on the assistant director, and that's a reflection on the director. 
that's a reflection up right up to to the secretary of the VA. Um, yes, that's the chain of command. That's the chain of command. You know, it has to be a checks and balances. Yeah. And, and somebody's I, I always holding these, first things, guess. I talk to uh, these regional offices. I talk with these regional offices all the time, all over the country, and some overseas. And and I can tell you, the majority of them are hard workers. They want to do right, but it's those few apples that that ruin the cart. Um, I've talked to appeals supervisors, and you can just hear the stress in their voice. And I'm not making that up. I've, I've learned to, to to weed out the BS, uh, but you can hear the stress in their voice. I wouldn't want that job for the life of me to be a uh, an appeals supervisor or, or, a, or a decision review officer. Um, the stress is pretty high for them to perform. Um, on the other hand, that's the job they decided to take, and if they're going to do it, they're going to have to live up to it. And so, uh, I, I do truly believe that they're doing the best they can. But like I said, there there's a good chunk of them that aren't, and it, and it makes it bad for everyone. Uh, yeah, you're right, John. I don't know whether it's more schooling or better schooling. <clears throat> it just appears there's a a group of unqualified people at certain levels. And uh, uh, that's ones that they're going to have to work on. Now, what? how many different levels there are in there, I don't know. But if someone is messing up, it's in the management end of it, I believe. Uh, someone does wrong and they're not correcting them. I'd love to get inside with the quality assurance team. I could be that oh. bad for just a few days. It appears that's that's totally shot quality control. I know you work in a manufacturing plant and uh, if somebody keeps goofing up it ain't long they're out the door. You know. Uh yeah. I used you to be the guy to put him in the door. <laughs> I used to be the guy to open the door. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can't do that. Uh, yeah, go in and take the asbestos out of this submarine. <laughs> You've had a little experience there, haven't you, John? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know what, you guys? Do. A lot of times with these VA regional offices, if you could just pin down one of the heavy hitters out there, whether it's an appeals supervisor or DRO or a, uh, an appeals coach or even the director, assistant director, um, if an attorney or an agent or a VSO, if they know what they're talking about, these people will listen to you, and you can educate them. Um, mm-hmm. Literally, literally. I mean, I've, I've had to teach them their job in certain circumstances. Not that uh, I'm yeah, no, I can believe that. Not that I am the know-all, see-all, but doing this 26 years, I like to think I, I know a few things. And, and if, if you can pin them down and, and just explain to them why A plus B equals C in this specific case, they, they will listen to you, and they will direct uh, the appeals supervisor and the DRO to, to rate a claim specifically. Even though a claim has been pending for 
less than two or three years, that doesn't mean the VA can't clear it off the boards. Uh, if they've got a, if they've got an appeal, that's not too terribly complicated. That they can clear off the books, get in, get out, rate this back, intervertebral disc syndrome at forty percent or sixty percent, and that's the only thing they have to do. They can get in, get out, and do that. Um, the problem, though, is that uh, you don't have a lot of it, power of attorneys that are willing to. Uh, push the envelope open too much with the Veterans Administration. There's a way to do it, being professional, respectful, but at the same time, hammering them over the head, too. Uh, But unfortunately, you've got a lot of claims out there, a lot of appeals backlog. And so, for me, as a power of attorney, it's somewhat difficult to try to put the interests of my client against other veterans who have been waiting a lot longer, who may be near death. So that's something I wrestle with a little bit. Um, on the one hand, I do represent my client, and that's always my priority is representing my client. But but sometimes, uh, you know, I, I, I'm putting my client ahead of other client, uh, veterans that have been waiting a lot longer too. So so that's something that, that I have to deal with. But on the other hand, uh, I'm hired by my client to do whatever it takes to win the claims, and, and, and that's what I do. So. I don't know what the answer is, guys. I'm hoping Dr. Shulk and the new secretary will be open to, to listening. I've, I, I, I've thrown my name out here, uh, my, my name to Dr. Shulkin a, a couple times. If, if, if he ever wants to talk to someone who's been doing this as long as I have and, and, and we'll put it in a way that won't hammer the VA, uh, but we'll put it in a way that we'll, we'll let the VA know exactly the problem areas and where the areas are that needs to be fixed. I'm happy to do that. Um, so far, they haven't taken me up on that, but that's not too terribly surprising. <laughs> no, that's not. Uh, but, you know, he he might be a breath of fresh air, John. Uh, we have to give him a chance now. How long we have to give him, I don't know. Uh, I think we should see some... Uh, some sort of action, positive uh, things happening here uh, pretty quick. I mean, you know, it's such a mess. It, it shouldn't take long that you you start noticing things to, uh, happening. Now, I don't know what kind of a deal he wants to run, but uh, I hope he's a good guy, as they say. You know, guys, one of the big things that, that uh, that's happening and, and it's been going on a while and hopefully it gets passed by the Senate or Congress is that um, the big three service organizations, the VFW, the American Legion, and the, and the Purple Heart, uh, and actually four of the DAVs involved with that as well. In fact, the DAV, I think, is headlining it. I don't know all the specifics. I read it over a couple times, but it's been a while. But they're looking to completely revamp the uh, appeals process with the Veterans Administration and, and, the, and the Board of Veterans Appeals. So, um, like I said, I don't know all the specifics on that, but uh, I read it a couple times, and, and there are some naysayers out there, but I read it. It looks it looks good to me. It looks like good legislation. And what, what it's designed to do is to, to decrease the backlog of the appeals at the Board of Veterans Appeals. And so um, so there is something out there that, that I think will probably get passed. And obviously if it does get passed, then it, you know, we have to be able to study it and determine how we're going to navigate that as a power of attorney. Um, so uh, 
That'll be interesting. Yeah. Be careful of that, John, because they've got an animosity for anybody who's not one of their representatives in the claims process. So if you're an agent or an attorney, then they're just politically motivated enough to try to cut somebody's throat. So be careful of that, anything dealing with that. Yeah, that's that's good advice. I think that uh, um, I think that if, if, all right. I think I think we have something going on here. I think the VA is trying to disrupt our call. <laughs> well, I think that's good advice. Uh, I think. I Did think you the, get that hand? Um, but but yeah, John. To piggyback what you were saying, I think it's important that uh, all attorneys and agents be very mindful of of any type of legislation or anything that tries to cut cut them out of the process. Um, That's right. There is an organ there there is an organization called NOVA, National Organization of Veterans Advocates, that are comprised mainly of attorneys and agents such as myself. Um, mm-hmm. And so they're they're a pretty yep. strong political force. I I, I I sincerely doubt that that organization would allow any type of uh, trickery by any of the service organizations or the VA to try to uh, keep us out of it. Yeah. yeah. Well, oh, we have a caller in there. Uh, hold on a minute. <coughs> Hello, caller. Well, Gerald and John and John, how are y'all? This is Bill oh, Sheeker. This Bill Sheeker. How you doing? Uh, okay. Okay. Hey, Bill. Hey, you John. Have a how you doing? Or comment. Good, well, good, Bill. I I uh, got to listen, John. I'm I've really hoped that you know y'all's meeting and everything went well. I'm I think John and I were talking about this yesterday, and uh, I had a meeting with Texas Veterans Commission. And, who is handling my um, claim now because my Nova lawyer got to 100%, and, of course, she couldn't see any more retro coming out of it, so she went ahead and, you know, uh, released me because, you know, let's face it, retro is how the lawyers get paid. And uh, even though I know that there's some more left on the board on the table with more claims and it all boils down to the SMC, um, which I am SMC level L, so we've got to get get that and keep it moving. But the veteran Texas Veterans Commission guy, who's he's really sharp. I've got two, one in Houston, one here, where I live in uh, South Houston, and it uh, he just flat told me he said appeals right now are running eight or nine years, and to get a decision on an initial claim is three to five years. Uh, there's no excuse. We can sit there and try to hash this thing out. The VA could put on their daily morning report that they got a 93% accuracy rating on their claims, which is a lie, and they've only dealing with 400 and some odd thousand claims. That's a lie. Uh, we have not, we have not gotten that backlog dealt with, and we've got criminals in the regional office that continue to operate against the law, and there's nobody to hold him. Now, I heard you make a comment, John, about uh, Miss Dr. Uh, Shilkin, who took over. 
um, his veteran secretary, he's a fine man. There's no question about it. He's a wonderful person. Unfortunately, the regional offices don't have wonderful people in them. Now, I'm not saying everybody there in the regional office isn't good. We have some fine people. But we've got some cutthroats in there, and obviously we do because of the backlog. The backlog, uh, when you get 80% denials the first time around, uh, we got a problem. And the, the, the veteran suicide rate is a direct reflection on how well the VA is doing. And that, I don't think it's dropped. They said it's dropped to 22 from 24 and 25. I don't believe that for a minute because the backlog hasn't done anything. Uh, neither has their error uh, efficiency, uh, accuracy done well. So the veterans are committing suicide because they can't deal with the VA. They can't hang on for eight, ten years. And, um, you know, I'd like to hear well, your response on that. What do you think? And what do, where do we need to go? What do we need to do? we got to get this thing changed as a country. Well, I think we, we touched on that a little bit. Um, for what it's worth, the, the veterans organizations have uh, lobbied Congress and Senate, and hopefully it's passed by the president to uh, allow this specific Board of Veterans Appeals program to to eliminate some of the backlog on BVA appeals. So that's one thing. Um, you know, certainly one thing's for sure is, you know, Bill, I started in this job in 1992, and if there's yeah. always been one common one common theme, is what we're talking about today. Right. The backlog, the error rate. Um, I can tell you, and, and I'm not saying, I'm not naive here, it, 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 it's, it's a lot better than it used to be. That's for sure. When I started in 92, it was a mess, and it, it's gotten better. And it's been kind of hills and valleys since then. But uh, today's VA, um, as bad as it is in some sections, it's a lot better than it used to be. So um, it's going to take time. It's going to take a lot of effort on veterans' organizations and people such as ourselves bringing the, the attention to the public, and um, that's about all I can say really on that. Um, well, I, I will tell you, I will tell you, I will tell you, Bill. Uh, I guess I have one more thing to add. Uh, you know, all due respect to the attorney you talked to, I don't, I don't think those numbers are accurate um, as far as the years waiting. Now, do appeals take that long? They certainly can. My experience has been, especially if you have a competent power of attorney, is that an original claim anywhere in the country, especially if you file it as an FDC, a fully developed claim. It's going to take about six, maybe eight months to adjudicate the first time around. Now, where you start to get the problems is when you get a denial and it's erroneous and you file the appeal. Now, if, if someone told you eight, nine years for an, for an appeal, uh, I, I disagree with that. I, I think certainly appeals have taken that long, but your average appeal from the time you file it, uh, it it's about a two- to three-year turnaround for most regional offices, now that time frame is terrible. I think, anyway. Typically, yeah. for for me as a power of attorney, I give it one year. Now, one year is a long time too, but I give it one year. I start banging on the doors after that, and so. But unfortunately, the appeals backlog is is of such a level that, on average, it's about two to three years out. If you've got attorneys or agents or vet service officers 
that are telling any veteran that appeals are taking five, six, seven, eight, nine years, uh, that's just that's false. That's just not happening. And if they are saying that, that's just a comfort zone for them. Well, I'm, I'm, I know myself, I've got appeals pending right now with four nines out that are peeled back uh, three years and four years and haven't heard a peep, not a word. I think and that, that if, if, and I, Bill, I don't know who, you, you said the Texas Veterans Commission is, is your power of attorney. Um, that's on them. Well, I'll say it, was, it flat out. That, that's yeah, on the power of attorney. They need to shake their tree. I believe that that's right. But I also, I just recently have done this because I had a NOVA attorney. And i you know, uh, not saying anything bad about the attorney, not at all. A very One of the better attorneys out there. And I am very was very pleased, but there got to be a point there wasn't anything being done at 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 the lawyer level it has it hadn't reached around far enough i felt it should have and it it's it's still going through this long drawn out process and i uh you know i've i've got 3 years 4 years on appeals right now that have not been adjudicated uh and i think i think you're right that's a good point you I'm, I need to put a fire under these guys and get them to do, to get busy uh, with it. Now, the, the guy I've got in Houston with the Texas Veterans Commission is excellent. Unfortunately, he lives in Houston. I don't, but he is really good. And the office here has got some – there's a couple of competent people in there. But uh, whether they are interested in carrying this thing on, it's almost as if, you know, I could do a better job of it than than some of the guys that have represented me in the past. Uh, yeah. That's just how you know, it is. You know, Bill, I think what they're thinking, and, and I, I wouldn't even begin to guess what's in their mind, but, but they probably they may be looking at a, a veteran who's drawing 100% special monthly, special monthly compensation at the L level. You're already getting about 5000 some dollars per month. Thirty thirty seven thirty thirty eight hundred. Thirty eight hundred, okay. Yeah, I'm a single dependent. Uh I, I don't have any but, dependents. But, but thirty eight hundred tax free per month. They look at that and they say, Well, he's already getting thirty eight hundred a month. He's probably entitled to more, but we've got veterans who aren't getting anything per month and so they tend yeah. to pull their resources into that. Now that I don't feel, I don't say that to say that your case is any less important than anyone else's. As, exactly. As, from my from my point of view, your case is just as important as anyone else's. Uh, yeah. The, the fact is, is that they tend to pick and choose where they put their 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 effort into it. I can tell you right off the bat, um, uh, in my opinion, and I I have a lot of cases in Texas. I've got a lot of cases in Houston and Waco. If 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 the day you signed the notice of disagreement, it's been more than three years. That's not appropriate. That that yeah. to me a year is a year is about the time that I start bugging the VA about it. But if it's been three years and and you've got a power of attorney that won't make some calls and light a fire under her butt, well, you know, shame on them. Yeah, I I actually have several uh, veterans that I'm working with on their claims. And I've tried to put
put a fire under them, and they're having extreme difficulties. Uh, one of the guys is a Vietnam veteran, a combat medic helicopter pilot, dust-off pilot. And uh, we've got he's at 70%, and I've, I've tried to get him to get it higher by just going ahead, let's take TDIU and worry about getting a scheduler after you get the TDIU through because that's going to yep. be easier. And you know yep. that as well as I do. Then we'll we'll worry about the scheduler because he's going to qualify for SMC eventually. He's got uh, uh, Parkinson's, advanced Parkinson's, and had the brain surgery with a stimulator put in. And he's to the point now he's got PTSD so bad that I can't really get him uh, to to do anything to get out of the house or do anything. His poor wife is being his provider. But, you know, she's not being paid under SMC rules or aid in attendance and homebound, and he hadn't been awarded that yet. So that's scheduler, but I'm, I'm trying to get him uh, to to get busy on the uh, TDIU. Just get that as fast as you can, then we'll work on the scheduler. And let it take care of well, itself, you know. Well, but, uh, and and you're right, Bill. There are, there are a lot of veterans out there that, that – are either physically or mentally capable of making those types of decisions. What yeah. this guy needs is is a power of attorney who's, yeah. who's willing to do that work for him. There's yeah. no reason a power of attorney can't go out to his house or a county veteran service officer or somebody can't go out to his house, fill out a 21-8940, which is a TDIU application. Exactly. And and do whatever it takes. It's not a, It's not a big, big deal. It's just right. a matter of that veteran allowing that person into the home or, or willing to do it over the phone. Uh, and the PTSD may be clouding his judgment, too. Uh, there might be some, some mental health issues I, going on. I'm, where thinking the same, I'm thinking the same thing you are. I agree. Yeah. I agree yep. with that. I uh, Well, I just I think I'll take a little trip when I can next week maybe and go see the Texas Veteran Commission, kind of read them, read them the right act and get them to move along on this thing because I've still got pending claims and you know what it, it, the the pending claims are definitely going to have to be agent orange uh and and uh, nuclear radiation and I have the environmental records as well as the medical opinions that are very very strong that I will not lose on them uh not not eventually uh they speak it speaks for itself the attitude to keep setting precedents, the VA wants to say stuff like, uh, well, we agree in the award letter, they'll say, we agree with what your doctors and VA examiners have said, but you will not see them saying Agent Orange, chemical weapons, or nuclear radiation. The doctors do, but they were careful in not saying that. And right. um, that's I'm at. I've got uh, lung, heart, uh, bowel diseases that are service connected, and at SMC level L. But it, uh, you know, we still have more pending. I've still got the cancer claims, uh, cancer claims, uh, tumor claims, and um, the um, uh, peripheral neuropathy without diabetes type 2 mellitus and that's a 
that's a huge red flag. That's what the VA uh, regional office noted. Uh, they they made opinions to me that it was this was uh, chemical exposures, and I <laughs> I didn't understand what that was. I was pretty shocked. I, not that I didn't know it. It was just I didn't really want to hear that. You know, you get to form a denial. Uh, m- most of the VSOs or lawyers keep saying you can't have peripheral neuropathy. VA won't acknowledge that because they want to have diabetes 2 mellitus with presumptive if you're in Vietnam. If you're not, you file a direct claim and go with uh, Agent Orange outside of Vietnam with a direct claim. However, they they don't want to award uh, anything but that. But I've got BVA cases. I've got two of them I used to have posted on had it. I don't know if they're still there, uh, with two specific cases that were awarded peripheral neuropathy without diabetes 2 mellitus that the doctor well, gave so, explicit uh, testimony saying that that's what caused the uh, nerve damage, the peripheral neuropathy. Yeah, peripheral neuropathy, and otherwise known as PN, is, is a unique presumptive disability to Agent Orange in that uh, – they have to see some manifestation at least to a 10% disability within one year after discharge from military service. So it, it's, it's a little bit tricky with that peripheral neuropathy when, when you're not tying it into diabetes. But, but I think, Bill, you're on the right track from, from at least for, what it's, for what, what it's worth, in my opinion, you need to light a fire under your power of attorney because right. uh, that's, that's too long. That, you should, if they're going to be your power of attorney, then, then they should be able to uh, – it gets some sort of closure to that appeal. Three years is too long. Yeah, I I agree too. But I'm, you know, we're running into veterans that are that have different VSOs, and they're running into the same problem. Three, four, five years to get a decision. Get a different and, VSO. Well, I'm, these guys have got different VSOs. I don't well, know how many. We, you know, uh, yeah. Whoever they have, get whoever they have, get a different one because. Yeah. There's a number of them out there. There's plenty of attorneys out there that'll take their business. There's plenty of agents <laughs> such as myself that'll take their business. If, right. if you've got a VSO who's a glorified van driver or someone who's just sitting up, you know, their feet propped up on the chair waiting for noon to go to lunch, get a different VSO. I, I'm not right. saying that they're they're all like that, but but there are some out there that are just collecting a check every couple of weeks. So um, if, if if you've got a VSO and your appeal has been taken as long as it has, and they're not willing to do anything about it, get a different VSO. Even if it's switching from the VFW to the Legion or the Legion to the DAV or the DAV to yeah. the Purple Heart, get somebody that has a passion for it, who has knowledge of it, who who, who actually wants to help. Yeah. If that doesn't work, enter into a contract with an attorney or an agent. 20% contingency is what most of us charge. Right. You know, 20 Twenty percent of something is better than than a hundred percent of oh, nothing. Oh, couldn't agree more. People. Couldn't agree more. I, uh, I, uh, John, I tell you, I, I really, I'm so happy that we've got you uh, and on the program and on had it, and because you do you do good work and you are really aggressive. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have many people like you, and that's the problem. Getting a VSO like yeah. you that's aggressive knows what they're doing. Hey, it's like uh, it's like looking for.
for a mammoth, woolly mammoth, you know. They're really not out there. Uh, and You know, there's there's a number of attorneys out there that will take your business, but there's not a lot of good attorneys out there. There's a lot of manufacturer puppy mill type attorneys out there that just take hundreds and hundreds of clients and the paralegals handle it, and, and uh, uh, it just doesn't work out very well. There are some no, darn good attorneys out there, too. But for myself, I'm an appeals agent accredited at the Office of General Counsel. There's only about 200 of us throughout the entire country. In Minnesota, mm-hmm. there's only three of us. And of those three, two of us are practicing full-time. So, wow. <laughs> and there's a, there's and, a niche out there. And we got 23 million veterans. Go figure. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, I, I got more work than I know what to do with, not so much work that I fall behind. Yeah, I work hard. I work about 60 hours a week, and I, lo- I love what I'm doing. Um, but uh, there's a lot of veterans out there in need. It's just, just figuring out a way to get in contact with them and, and, and getting them to trust in, the, in the, what I do and the system. And, and uh, if they will, uh, they're, they're never disappointed. Yeah. Well, you you know you're you've got happy uh, clients. You've been doing this a long time, and you're very effective at what you do. And uh, Gerald knows you, John uh, knows you, and I know you. Though I don't know you as well as as they do, but you know uh, you've you've been doing it long enough to know what you're doing, and you have a passion, and that's the main reason. Um, you know, we we need more like you. We, they're hard to come by. Uh, very much so. Well. I appreciate you saying that, and and just as a side note, uh, you'll talk about special monthly compensation, especially in your case, uh, Bill. Um, I've always said that that's one of the most complicated components of the Veterans Administration's benefits. There's not a lot of people that understand the real hardcore statistics and specifics of special monthly compensation, the different... uh, levels uh, ranging anywhere from SMCK up to SMCR2 and all the levels behind that between yeah. that I mean it's very complicated so you get quite literally a lot of the VA officials don't have a good grasp of SMC right the VA officials exactly. don't have a good grasp if they don't have a good grasp of SMC most of your veteran service officers don't as well i know there's a lot of attorneys that i've talked to they look like a deer in the headlights when it comes to SMC. That's not right. their fault. That's not their yeah. fault, but it, it's that complicated. You need to study SMC. Yes. People uh, think you automatically should be the highest level, SMC R2. By God, I should be an R2. I should get $8,000 a month. It's not that easy. It's much no, more complicated than that. It really is. I know that I should be higher than an L because of how sick I've gotten. And I'm having some uh, some real problems now, I guess because of the cancer treatment. And I've gotten sicker. So we've got to figure out how are we going to get to the next level. And if, I, if I'm talking to the Texas Veterans Commission, like you say, they may not be well briefed enough on the subject matter of SMCs to do it. I have a little bit of SMC knowledge and understand how it works. But to be able to get there, it's going to take a unified effort of having a VSO that knows what he's doing, and also being able to discuss it with your doctor to be able to trigger the higher SMC award due to how sick you are. And 
You're would right. you agree with that? I would, absolutely. I yep. mean, there's L yeah. and a half, there's M, M and a half. Uh, uh, they just instituted SMCT for for traumatic brain injury. Uh, so, I mean, it, it, it's, it gets complicated. Right, John Stacy? SMC is probably pretty complicated. Well, John Stacy's it's not worse there, than that. But, uh, <laughs> but it's, it's worse than that. that. It's not complicated. <laughs> it's a quagmire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, you're well, talking well, love and youth, the... blindness, and <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a hard thing to just grab. Just put it this way: it, if you're if you're a veteran, you get SNC R2, you are one messed up individual. Yeah. uh, I'm going to hang up and let you guys uh, talk. Maybe somebody else wants to call in. John, thank you very much. John Dorley, we really appreciate you and what you do. And um, thank you very much. And I I hope the people got, you know, some of the answers that they're seeking uh, from you and everything. Gerald, John Stacy, God bless you all. John Dorley, thank you. God bless you, sir. God bless you, Bill. Be careful. Thank, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Yeah, I mean, Bill is is a, is in a SMC situation, and so he's he's somewhat more familiar with it than most of your veterans because they they don't deal with that SMC. So um, I think that when you're dealing with special monthly compensation, any veteran out there. Uh, unless they really think they have it down, don't even try. Uh, get a get a knowledgeable representative, uh, veteran service officer, the DAV, VFW at least. Don't do it on your own. If they don't do the job, you know, hire an attorney, hire an agent, um, get that job done that way. Yeah, that's uh, that gets pretty involved. Uh, you're right, John. Uh, and, uh, not a lot of them uh, are familiar enough or worked enough with the SMCs uh, to know a lot, uh, especially BSOs. I think they're, they're probably less informed, but uh, you and, need and you know what, guys, someone that specializes in it. <clears throat> And, and I, I would go on the record. I, I One thing I, I worry about a little bit is that if there are any senior-level vet service officers out there that are listening to this broadcast, they're probably just cringing when they hear it. Because I know when I was in that position, um, you know, the, the thought out there was we, we didn't know our head from our hind end. Uh, and, and that's just not true. There are a lot of good government-paid not just good, but great, knowledgeable, dedicated, government-paid vet services, vet service officers out there. Whether they're at the county level, state level, federal level, they're out there. But but my experience has been they're just so darn busy, and they're just so understaffed. They're just not getting the support from from the national corporate level that they need, and and they're burning out. Um, and and the ones that are good, great at their job. Um, everyone wants to go to that person, so so they're just overbooked. And so, you know, I, I don't want to give the impression that they don't know their head from their hind end because they definitely do. Because I've worked with some good individuals on a government level, but uh, you know, I, I just I just don't think they're getting the support that they need. 
Uh, it seems like it's that way all the way through the the BA on the uh, claims issue, uh, comp and pension uh, side of it. Uh, so many people are lacking in the knowledge they need to per- uh, actually professionally perform their jobs. Now, I don't know how many different levels they have, but... You you mean enlighten you guys on some stuff? Um, Yeah, go ahead. We have a Veterans Commission in the state of Kentucky. It's not like the Texas Veterans Commission. The Veterans Commission here basically work alongside uh, Congressman Andy Barr in his district, 6th district. And, you know, if you go to the meetings, you know, you've got all the vet organizations there. And, you know, there's a lot of people there. So there's several hundred at each meeting. And you see them all sitting there in their areas, and you just try to, you know, you, you try to take it all in when you go there. And what you see is you see a bunch of people and from different backgrounds and, different, you know, different avenues. And everybody, it's like everybody's driving their own truck going a different direction. Everybody has an agenda, and nobody has the same agenda. Okay. And okay. until that situation gets ratified into a better agenda, then this situation is not going to change. And that's unfortunate because it sounds like what you're saying, John, is with the state of Kentucky anyway, the Kentucky Veterans Commission or whatever the equivalent is, is, is you've got you've got too many chiefs and not enough braves. It sounds like if you you want to use that no, analogy. No. In the, in the, Individually, they're awesome. You know, they do a pretty good job. I mean, you know, you don't really see any complaints out of them. But I'm just saying, when you know, you get everybody together as a whole. You know, when you're talking about issues that affect the entire district, and you know, you that affects be focused on. You know, ideas can be taken to Congress, you know, and things like that. You know, through the office. But you know, everybody's got such a big different set of, of items on the agenda. You know, it's almost impossible to do. You talk about veterans' issues. Veterans issues, you know, and I'm just talking about claims. I'm talking about a whole lot of veterans issues, you know, because, I mean, you know, Congress looks at a lot of different issues. Yeah, a lot of them get federal federal funding for uh, state-run veterans' homes and veterans' programs, and and Mm -hmm. a lot of times compensation and pension fall by the wayside, and that involves hiring uh, individuals within each state, county veteran service officers and and, and state veteran service officers that uh, are seasoned and, and are able to handle claims and expedite those claims and be able to look at a claims folder and, and be able to diagnose what needs to be done right away. Um, so uh, I've always said education is the key. Spend money, hire people that are seasoned, bring them in at senior levels, uh, and educate the individuals that need to be educated. Um, I'm from Minnesota here, and the Minnesota Department of Veterans Affairs had an adequate education program, but uh, I've always, and they probably wouldn't agree with me, but, but you know, it is what it is. Um, we go to our annual conference every year, and if you've been doing the job long enough, 80% of what they teach at those conferences, it's, it's told hat. You know, you rarely yeah, learn. Redundant. Oh, you rarely yeah. learn. At those conferences, you pick up a thing or two, or you might remind yourself of something. But, but you know, God forbid, you know, anyone try to change that. So that was the frustrating <laughs> part for me. So, 
not to take a shot at my own really? state, but you know that was frustrating. Yeah. Good question. I always ask if you're talking to one of these VSOs from another organization, you know, you, you know, and just in general conversation, you know, you can pick their brain a little bit, you know, and kind of get to see where they're at. And, uh, you know, and a good test is to ask them if they could explain the SMC, the SMC uh, schedule to you. And that way you can tell them you're yeah. a little bit confused about it, get their idea, you know, and I've had several guys, what's that? <laughs> yeah. Yep. I bet yep. you have. I can talk to any any service officer, or I can talk to any VA official. It might take me three minutes to to get an idea of of where their intelligence and expert level, as far as disability claims goes. Uh, I've met some some. I met a decision review officer out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, that blew me out of the water. I you know he 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 taught me a few things. You know, I, we were actually teaching each other a number of different things, but probably the most intelligent DRO decision review officer I've come across in my career. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris, o- Chris, o- uh, his last name is hard to pronounce. Chris Olgary out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania mm-hmm. is an excellent decision review officer. Yeah. Well, that's good for you because, you know, if you teach this guy something, hey, what well, you're, you know, in front of him and, uh, you know, you make an impression on him, you know, personally, that's a good thing for you because they'll remember you. You build those bridges, John. That's a good thing. And, and that's what I like to yep. that's what I like to think that I do is I, I build those bridges and, and you know, I can go to these DROs, I can go to these appeals coaches, appeals supervisors, directors and assistant directors and, and when they hear my name they're not gonna have a bad taste in their mouth and they're gonna within reason they're gonna be able to help me out the way I need. So, you know, it's all huh. about politicking and you gotta kiss a little butt sometimes and you know, I don't mind doing that, so How's Louisville looking for you? <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not real happy with Louisville in in um, in your uh, your family member's case. That that's an ongoing yeah. issue, which shouldn't surprise me. Um, I'm not talking about Estelle Huff. I'm talking about uh, you know who I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, uh, you're about. Uh, yeah, and and so they're they're. That's going to be have to be a BVA case. Um, so I, I okay. certainly not real happy with Louisville, to be honest with you. Uh, but on the other hand, mm-hmm. uh, there are worse worse regional offices. Yeah, I think that started down the road here too in a situation because uh, I know some of the players involved and you know some of these players involved uh, should be playing the game. To tell you the truth. <clears throat> yeah. 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 But I've got a I've got a really good relationship with the appeals supervisor at Louisville, and and he is he is legitimate, uh, he is conscientious, but he's one of those appeals supervisors that are just stressed out to the max. Um, so I, I prod him when I need to, um, but uh, um, this particular case with Verdon, um, it's just not not moving in the direction I want it to. What about uh, uh, John uh, moving a, a claim uh, fr- from one uh, regional office to another? You know, you you run across a bunch of uh, I don't know derelicts or whatever you want to call them, but uh, uh, why not move the claim to another regional office? Yeah, I, I mean, did, what, what kind that. of justification do you have to have? 
Well, I've had that question before, and, and the problem is, is once you identify a particular set of VA regional offices who are, are much more liberal and sensitive to veterans' cases, everyone in their mother's case is going to want to go there, and you're, it, it's, just, mm-hmm. it's just not going to work. So they have to divide in geographical regions. Uh, you're almost penalized for the specific region you live in, although uh, I, I would say, and I don't have any real hard statistics on this, but probably 90, uh, 95%, 90% of the cases are adjudicated out of their own VA regional offices, but but VA regional offices also broker uh, claims to other regional offices that aren't as busy. So, for example, uh, St. Paul and, and Denver, uh, they, they broker cases between each other, um, and other regional offices broker cases between each other. So, it's a good idea, Gerald, but unfortunately, it, it, it's good. I know as a power of attorney, if I identify a particular regional office that I feel is much more sympathetic to claims, all my claims are going to go there. <laughs> yeah, I can hear that. Yeah, yeah, but, my uh, first uh, what I was referring to, John, was <clears throat> suppose, suppose the claim had been up and down the ladder five or six times, and the regional office keeps uh, goofing up. Couldn't you request a different, um, under those extenuating circumstances, request another regional office? Well, I think, if I remember right, Gerald, we talked about this last last show, and I think you had mentioned there was one case in particular oh, where well, maybe I the did. individual... I where the individual successfully did that. I, I personally have never heard that where you can point the finger at a particular regional office that they have it against you for whatever reason. And even if you can justify that it could be adjudicated at a different VA regional office, uh, I've never seen that. I think that sets a precedence that the VA is not ready for. And, and to be quite honest, that's why we have the appeal system. That's yeah. why we have the, uh, the, the the decision review officer. Uh, uh, that's why we have the appeals management center. That's why we have the board of veterans appeals, the court of veterans appeals, uh, circuit court of appeals, the supreme court, the whole thing. So, in, in in that respect, you're getting a different venue. You're getting a different set of eyes on it. But um, not to sound like a shill for the VA, but I think that would open up a can of worms that uh, wouldn't be uh, good for anyone. Uh, you they may be right. I don't know. Uh, I would think under, under certain circumstances it would be, uh, you know, something to do uh, because if one regional office keeps making the same mistakes over and over again and they keep getting the claim sent back, um I mean, how much is well, too, how much is enough? Uh, you'd look you, at it, Gerald. You know, some regional offices are designated for certain conditions. For example, uh, I guess Agent Orange and things like that. Certain illnesses and certain conditions or certain practices, like Project One Twelve Shad. You know, uh-huh. they're, basically they're supposed to be routed through one regional office. All claims are supposed to go to that office, like. I think it's Muskogee, Oklahoma. Is that correct? Uh, Muskogee, Oklahoma is for mustard agent uh, exposure. Okay. 
And, okay, um, and if you got a claim for mustard agent exposure, why, why, why is your claim not in the scope? That's where it should be. Well, you know, um, that was mentioned to me by Muskogee. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, I... Uh, well, and if I can interject, and I, and I know I keep hammering this, and, and it's starting to sound really old, but these issues that, that we're talking about, Power of attorney, power of attorney, power of attorney. Get that power of attorney to understand the problems. And if you have a legitimate complaint, and if the regional office keeps screwing you over, there's no reason that power of attorney can't walk down the hall if they're they're a, a, a national organization like the VFW, Legion, DAV. I'm not going to tell them how to do their job, but I know they can. They can walk down the hall, they can talk to a DRO, a director, an assistant director, and say, this is what we got. Can I have ten, you know, 20 minutes of your time? More often than not, they'll do that. And a good power of attorney will be able to point out why the decision review officer made this bad decision, why the RVSR made this bad decision. Those veteran service center managers, those directors, those assistant directors, they have the power ask the DRO or a different DRO to look at the case. I've had that happen a lot of times, too. We got that rogue DRO in Waco that I've talked about before, and I've, uh-huh. successfully, been able, I've been successfully been able to get the management system to have a different DRO look at it every time the DRO sides in our favor. In fact, the, the lady that called us a couple months ago, she might be listening now out of Florida. She was out of uh, Texas, and she moved to Florida. Yes. We had that, we had that yeah. DRO, and I successfully got a different DRO to look at that, and that DRO turned it over right on the spot. So if you've got a regional awesome. office that keeps screwing you over, get your POA on it. If you don't have a POA, get one. If you have a POA and they're not doing the job, get a different one. <laughs> you hear that, yeah. girl? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, Gerald, Gerald, in your case, you're too vested into it. I mean, you're way, way down the road. You probably, probably stick with the lady you took to the dance on this one. But um, yeah. I wouldn't recommend you switching now. But um, in general, though, yeah, the POA should be getting on it. Well, it is what it is. So, uh, you got to get your your POA to, uh, well, light a power under them or get one that's on fire so they move. But uh, at any rate, uh, there should be a recourse that... Uh, uh, a veteran can do because a regional office cannot keep uh, screwing up like that. I mean, five or six times. And, you know, I spoke to one of them at the Appeals Management Center, which my claim's been there a couple different times, and they said they've seen them come through there 15 times. (laughs) Can you imagine 15 times? uh, No, I... I can't. That's terrible. I like fell out of my chair. I said, "Damn, what? 
how can you justify 15 times? That's, you know, and, and each go-around, you're talking a couple of years. Uh, well, sometimes. They've been getting... Well, I, I, I know, I'm, I'm aware of your case briefly, some, some basics of it. I don't know the nuts and bolts of it, Gerald, but um, yeah. and, and I, I would never cast aspersions on your attorney or anyone else's attorney because I don't know. Oh, all no, the facts I wouldn't uh, refer to I, that. I, 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 would... I do know that this has been going on a long time for you. And uh, where is it at now? Is it at the BVA level or is it back at the regional office? Uh, remanded? The, uh, BVA. Board of, of Veterans Appeals. What? DBA? DBA, yeah. Board of Veterans Appeals? Yeah. All right. Because it's on remand, isn't it? Didn't it go to the court? Well, it just come. It was on remand and went back to uh, St. Louis, and then St. Louis sent it back up up there. But they, I don't think, made any changes in it. They just sent it back. <laughs> the way it came. <laughs> so you're, uh, you're you don't lose your remand date. You know that I bet. Uh, when your yeah, case but, goes uh, back to BVA, you don't start over. You go back to that slot it was at when it was remanded. You should be getting a decision here within, gosh, six months. I would think at the latest. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Whatever it is, uh, I don't have no option but to wait. Uh, on mine, anyway. So, right. Uh, I know there's other people that's uh, kind of stuck in the same situation, uh, and that's the reason I was wondering why isn't it possible to, uh, under certain circumstances, uh, change regional offices. Yeah, and I, I tried to explain that. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't think it's a, I understand I don't think what it's you're a, saying. Yeah, I don't think it's a bad idea. I think you just open up a set of precedents that that's going to cause a lot of ramifications. I I've had uh, veterans in different regional offices that establish an address somewhere else in the country, whether it's a uh-huh. post office box or a family member's address, just so they could have a, a regional office that they feel is going to be more fair. Um, I've, I I know veterans have done that before, so. Yeah, I know yeah. veterans that have moved and they're claiming all of them. Uh, to, yeah. uh, but uh, uh, not too many. I'm trying to remember how many I heard have done that that they got their claim transferred down to another, uh, like they might have moved from. Washington State, and they come in, uh, went to Georgia or somewhere, and they got it transferred there. Uh, but I don't know I where where they were at in the claims process. I would suspect uh, that may have something to do with it, also. And, and I think you know, thinking on it a little bit, and you know, it'd be nice if someday we had a DRO, a decision review officer on the show and and not not be an adversarial process but more more or less just a learning process but my understanding with change of venue for for claims um 
in the day, you could move to another geographical area and your your file would automatically follow you. But I think, and I think a VA official could could that even if you move, uh, your your file still stays at the VA regional office you are at until a final decision has been made. Then it might be transferred. In this day of automated technology with computers and transferring information back and forth, it's it's not so much uh, uh, crucial that a claims file follows a veteran to different geographical areas. For instance, I got a vet. I just want to claim. Uh, he lives in Texas, um, out of the Waco VA regional office. But his his claim originated at the Buffalo, New York VA regional office. Well, he'd been oh. in Texas for for a couple years, but that claim was still adjudicated out of Buffalo. So that and that's that's mm-hmm. been going on more and more. So it's 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 making me believe uh, more and more that the VA is getting away from. Veterans that are uh, uh, moving and and expecting their claims file to go to their regional office, uh, uh, I think they're trying to cut off on that. Well, with the age of the computer, I think you're probably right because wherever you're at in the country, uh, if your uh, claims folder has been digitized, uh, they can bring you up and, and talk turkey with you. So yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, there's no reason to move it then. Uh, it's all, it's it's all over the country. I mean, it's everywhere. It's whatever regional office you're there. Although where you file the claim, maybe they're the ones do the final adjudication of it. Right, right. Well, I, you know, and and I don't want to belabor the point. I've always been someone that calls a spade a spade, and, and I, I give kudos where they're deserved. There are a lot of regional offices and employees within regional offices that do a, a really good job, and they listen to me, and, and I don't expect to win every claim. I mean, that, that's that's just not going to happen, but they listen to me. But uh, I'll be honest with you. There's three VA regional offices that, um, if, if there are any listeners out there with their claim at these regional offices, you're going to have a devil of a fight on your hand. St. Petersburg, Denver, and Indianapolis, Indiana. You'll note I left Louisville out of there, John Stacy, but Louisville's a close four. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, it, it, it's a bear with those those regional offices, um, and and I don't know what the answer is, but uh, if you're a veteran listening and you've got a claim in those regional offices, uh, prepare for a hell of a battle. Little not used to be that way, guys. You see one of the good ones. Well, we had some success with Louisville. It just made my hair gray. I mean, it was just it was just a bear with a Stell's case. And and we still got more. I think we can do on that case. But but we we made a lot of progress with that. Um, but it shouldn't yeah. have had to been that hard. Should not have had to been that hard. Well, it's just uh, well, everybody's you know everybody seems to be uh, satisfied you know with the result so far, so it's it's good. You know, well, but, uh, I mean, uh, in your case, John, didn't didn't you you guys uh, do well there in uh, Louisville? Well, the first the first fourteen years was kind of rough because we had a. There's one first center manager. Uh, he just he was just 
basically belligerent and wouldn't approve nothing. So then after he was after he uh, transferred or whatever he did, and then the new person came in, it, you know, it went pretty smooth. So I guess it all depends on who's in charge and what's what, you know, because there's a lot of a lot of you know you build a lot of animosity too. But you know you learn a lot if you're doing it yourself, and uh, you know you throw yourself into it and you educate yourself. And the more you educate yourself, the more you understand, and the more you know how to actually present this stuff. So it's a learning yeah. process for anybody who files a claim. Yes, it is. Finding good representation. Finding good representation is the key. Because, you know, if you don't know the medical terminology and just that and all the other information you need, you need to find somebody that knows it that can teach it to you. Because it's all a learning process, you know, the way you look at it. Because it's such such a big area. There's so much information involved. And it's just, you know, I feel like the right to play. You know, a lot of veterans just, don't have the temperament that they need to even work their own claim. They're better off if they can get uh, some professional help. Uh, and, uh, I mean, of course, a lot of times uh, picking out a BSO to get you started or, or you know, starting it yourself, now they got it now where you can file a claim right over the computer. So right. Um, and usually you're not going to uh, unless you do a uh, what do they call them complete claim. Full development. Yeah. Uh, now I've heard of a few of those going through. Now I don't know how many, but that's on your mainly your newer veterans getting out of the service, who are better schooled and and some of them listen to some of the old timers and and they knew to submit the proper documentation and and uh, they was okay, but. Uh, your older veterans now who didn't have a, all this uh, documentation, it's in their records, and they didn't know to get their C files or do this or do that, and so they're, uh, they end up with the long-running claim process. <laughs> yeah, you know what, guys, that, that whole idea and and – you know, that whole idea of you have to have your claims filed before you start anything. Yeah. You have to understand the records, the records management center, they're about, they're about 10, 11 months out to get yeah. you a VA claims file. So yeah. when I, when I, when I work claims, nine times out of 10, my client is going to have the documentation with them or squirreled away somewhere in the attic. That's going to allow me to do what I need to do. Or they might have an e-benefits account. I can look at that and pretty much hit the ground running. This whole theory about having to have that claims file before you do anything, I don't believe that. It's nice to have it, but it's certainly not worth wasting 10 months. You can file an intent to file to get the data claim established, and as long as you file the formal claim within a year, you're good to go. But, you know, why 
why not formalize it sooner than 10 months? It's going to take the records management center to send you the claims file. There are some cases where I need to get the claims file, but the thing is, as a power of attorney, I can yeah. usually uh, I can usually talk nice to the VA regional offices, and they can usually send me the information I need uh, if I talk nice to them. <laughs> I shouldn't have to talk nice to yeah. them, but that's where the the politicking and the butt, ki- the butt kissing. I mean, if you're a jerk, <laughs> they're just going to say, "Well, the regulations say you have to go to the records management center." And then you go, then you know where. But if if you talk to them respectfully and nicely. Um, they're usually going to be able to get me what I need. So if anyone out there is listening thinking you have to get your claims file, entire claims file, that's not always the case. And if it is the case, a good power of attorney is usually going to be able to talk to the VA and have it mailed to that power of attorney. I've had it happen all the time. I just had a nice lady out of the Oakland VA regional office do it for me. Good. Good. And hopefully yeah. you get the information requested, not 500 pages of somebody else's stuff mixed in with it. Oh, I had that happen. I had that. No. No, but guys, I, I appreciate you having me on the on the show. Um, and call me anytime. Um, you know, if you, if it's okay, I'll leave my name and 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 email address and phone number. Oh, you bet. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah, if anyone wants to call me, it's uh, uh, 651 area code in Minnesota, 651-303-3062. That's 651-303-3062. My email is benefitsagent at comcast.net. Just like it sounds, benefits, plural, agent at comcast.net. Yeah, if you need uh, some uh, professional help with your claim after you've been denied, uh, your claim been denied, uh, you want to give John Dorley a call there. He'll do you right. And uh, hopefully keep you from making a lot of mistakes so many veterans make. And... uh, it can shave years off the claims process for you. Uh, And that's what's important. I mean, you don't want to be sitting around 10, 15 years waiting on a claim. That's about as uh, idiotic thing as you can do. Get the professional help up front. And... And get her going. And inter- interview uh, POAs. Interview yeah. a couple of attorneys. Interview a couple of agents such as myself. Mm-hmm. Interview a couple of national service officers. Get a feel for them. I- any veteran in their gut, they're going to be able to tell if this guy, if this gal or this guy, this BSO, is, is going to go to work for them. So do some interviewing, whether it's phone interview or going and talk to them. Because... Um, because a good, aggressive, strategic uh, power of attorney is, is is your best bet. Don't try to do this on your own. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, it uh, if you get started off right, it's going to save you a lot of a lot of time. 
and time is very important when you're a sick veteran. So um, get your help early on. Uh, you know, I don't know. You uh, you're not allowed to step in and help until they they do get a denial. Uh, uh, can you, John? Well, the law says that I'm an accredited power of attorney. Yeah. And no one has ever told me that I can't take a case for someone who does not have an appeal going on. Now, certainly if there is an appeal going on or if I can file an appeal for a veteran, I can take over as a formal power of attorney. But yeah. I have cases that I've, I've, I've cases where I'm a power of attorney and, and, I, and the case is not on appeal. I have that oh. option. Oh, okay. Yep, certainly. Yep. Well, see, that right there is the way to go. Uh, uh, you know, uh, a lot of you veterans out there, I know if you're like me, uh, you'd say, oh, my, I think I'll file a claim. I, I'm entitled to file a claim. I'm sick here and sick there and sick everywhere. Uh, uh, you know, I had... Uh, A lot of my trouble wouldn't have been going on had I been able to utilize someone like John Dorley when I first initiated my claim. It would, uh, instead of going in, I don't know what all that BSO (laughs) put down, everything under the sun, but, uh, you know, it's all turned to half of a nonsense. And... uh, uh, it cost me a lot of years uh, getting my claim halfway squared away uh, where you, you can start working it. So this would say be a lot of uh, lost time. Yeah, I'm well, happy John, to do any consultation yeah, work. Anyone, it, you know, people call me and they just have general questions too. I'm happy to answer any general questions. Okay. Well, let's hope they get to, you're getting some calls, John. Uh, Sounds good. Wanna keep, I'm mad you're pretty busy anyway. <laughs> All well, right. I, I am, but, but I'll take calls. <laughs> um, uh, thanks for listening in, folks. Uh, John, thank you for being there. Uh, thank you. And, and uh, Jay Basser, thank you for being in there. Uh, help them keep things rolling and uh, ladies and gentlemen uh, sure hope you liked the show if you didn't tune in next week we'll give you another (laughs) (laughs) alright guys thank you okay thanks a lot John this will be Gerald Cook uh, for the Haddock Podcast we'll be signing off for now You've been listening to the Haddit.com Blog Talk Radio Show, sponsored by Haddit.com. All opinions expressed here are the opinions of the individuals appearing on the show and are not the opinions of Haddit.com or Blog Talk Radio. Tune in next time for another edition of Haddit.com Blog Talk Radio and the Ask Bachelor Show.